Hello everybody, welcome back to another brand new, hot off the presses episode of The Casual Criminalist. I am your host, Simon. What happens here is Callum, the writer for this channel slash podcast, I just refer to it as a show, has written me a nice hefty script on the disappearance of the Jameson family. Uh, I've never heard of this. What happens if this is what people have described in the comments and the reviews, which you can leave if you're listening to this as a podcast. If you're watching it on YouTube, you'll be like, what is a YouTube review, Simon? That's not a thing. Well, leave a nice comment or a thumbs up. I think they call it a like. Do that. Um, and then we're going to dive into it. Oh, also, thank you to Jen, the uh, the editor for this channel, who adds the music and the, the videos if you watch this, the sounds if you don't. Brilliant. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, en- enough waffling. Did I say to leave a review? That would be nice. Let's go. According to a 2020 report from the FBI, there are currently somewhere around 87,500 active missing person cases in the US. That's surprise- that feels surprisingly low. Aren't there like 300 million people in the US? And I feel like a lot of missing people are just people who are like, yeah, just... <laughs> my life i'm out you know i feel like most people who go missing it's like the the extreme version of the midlife crisis where a dude's like it i'm off i'm just i'm, I'm just out i'm gonna go start a new life somewhere else and uh, disappear Eighty-seven thousand sounds low anyway Add in the rest of the world and that number will be in the multiple millions. That's a hell of a lot of people and statistically there's a semi-decent chance that one or two of them might be listening right now and in that case please call home everybody's worried about you. (laughs) That is absolutely true. There are for sure people who just abandon their lives listening to this podcast. Hello. (laughs) You want to write write me an email? Tell me what that's like. Don't do that, please. I don't want to hear from you. The vast majority, around 80% of those, that makes me (laughs) nice. I mean, you could write in. I don't think there's there's a contact form on the website. I think people suggest uh, tons of options. And if I like them, I sometimes pass them off to Callum. But uh, mostly I just let Callum choose his own stuff because he's really good at it. The vast majority, around 80% of these cases, wrap up within 24 hours, with the per- when the person stumbles up to the front step with a raging hangover or the teenage runaway is brought back home by the police. However, a small percentage of them disappear forever, never to be seen again. And they're the ones who show up on this show. This is not one of those cases. Today's oh, okie dokie. Today's story does revolve around a mysterious disappearance, but one which only gets more confusing after the missing people were eventually found. Things begin simply enough when a family of three go missing on a trip to the into the Oklahoman mountains. But from there, the case spirals out into one of the most bizarre networks of speculation that you're ever likely to find: witchcraft satanism meth gangs neo-nazis you know this out that this is very exciting so far i mean <laughs> the satanist meth gang jesus let's see if we can't extract a bit of sense from all of this madness as we take a deep dive into the mystery of the jameson family disappearance meet the jamesons the Jameson family was made up of 44-year-old father Bobby, 44-year-old mum Sherilyn, and little Madison, who was, and by the way, they're all spelling their names weird. Like Sherilyn with a Y, Madison with a Y. Is that okay? I mean, I feel like we've made it there with Brian with a Y, but are we really there with Madison with a Y? <laughs> I've never seen this before. It was just six years old back in 2009. Owen's Maisie, the dog, of course, Madison's beloved pet. To any stranger on the street, this lot appeared to be a perfectly normal Oklahoman family. They went to church, they enjoyed spending time in nature, and they generally just kept to themselves. The family made a home for themselves in the small lakeside town of 
Oh my god, America, your place names. You faller. And I know people are like always like Simon, have you been have you ever been to the UK? <laughs> your place names are a joke. Leicester Square? What is this? It's spelled like Leicester. What's going I I know, the UK's worse, but still America. Come on, you faller. It's, it just doesn't look right. A couple of hours from Oklahoma City. It's a typical rural American town with just short of 3,000 people and not much going on. But even that was too noisy for the Jamesons. Bobby and Sherilyn dreamed of living in total peace and quiet on a 40-acre plot of land off in the mountains. The only problem was that they would only have enough money to buy the land itself, not to build a house on top of it. Like, that's, that is a problem. I mean, you're not going to be able to camp forever. Bobby suffered from chronic back pain after a car wreck in 2003, and the couple were barely screaming scraping by on disability benefits. To add to their financial worries, they were currently involved in a lawsuit against his own father for their fair share of the property sale. Your life sounds complicated, and you sound too poor to be involved in a lawsuit against your own family. Also, 40 acres of land? America, you have so much space. If someone lives on 40 acres of land in Europe, you're like, you are rich. (laughs) Their temporary solution was a long, rusted red shipping container. Oh my, which sat outside on their eufil... I mean, it's not camping, but is living in a shipping container any better? It sounds like, you know, the journey of an illegal... It's like people who live in shipping containers, this family, and people being the victims of people smuggling. They planned on moving that up the mountains and just living inside it in the meantime, because apparently they stopped watching Into the Wild after the first 30 minutes. Ah, That's a great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I mean, we kind of just spoiled the end there. It doesn't end well. It's definitely worth watching. It's got that guy who kind of reminds me of Shia LaBeouf in it, but is definitely not Shia LaBeouf. As you probably guessed, the Jamesons were eccentric to say the least. Not many people knew about these plans, but that was just the way it was with this couple. They were so private that even their nearest and dearest rarely knew what was going on in their lives, <laughs> except for their dad, who very much was aware of the lawsuit against him. So when they pulled Madison out of school completely in October 2009, nobody thought anything of it. On October the 8th, they loaded up their car with gear and their beloved dog Macy and set out on an expedition into the Sands Boys, uh, again, sorry, mountains to scout out their their new home. The family often disappeared for days. Scout out their new home? Don't you have to, like, you did buy the land, right? Didn't you do the scouting before that? Or I guess 40 acres is a lot of property to scout out. But uh, I don't know. The family often disappeared for days at a time without explanation, looking to disconnect from the world completely. But then the weekend came and went with no news, then a full week. And it seems like they're just vanished without a trace. I get it, though. Like, I live in the city, and... The desire to live in the country? I'm like, it's so quiet out there. It's so peaceful. There's just like the the, the sound of the winds through the trees. I think because I grew up in the countryside. I mean, I like living in the city because it's convenient. Because you got like Uber Eats and everything you could ever need. And friends. But also, living in the country, I'm like, yeah, it'd be nice. Just so much space. It's so quiet. Um, but my wife definitely prefers living in the city. So, you know, I, I, I like living in the city. You know, I, I mean, I'm happy to. Just before we get into the rest of today's video, though, let me tell you a quick something about today's wonderful sponsor, Quip. When is the last time that you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? Well, I was probably about two years old, and my parents were like, oh, well done, baby Simon, you did so well. Uh, well, with Quip's electric smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. Now, this is something, you know, one of those things that you thought you'd never need. You thought, when I'm an adult, obviously I'll brush my teeth reliably for the solid two minutes every time. And then adulthood rolls around, you're like, why do I need to get rewarded for this? But it does make me brush my teeth longer. (laughs) It's one of those things that you think you don't need, but then it turns out you actually do because 
you know, we're not all perfect, are we? Now, you've probably heard us talk about Quip a million times. Not me personally, actually. This is the first ever Quip advert on this podcast. But yeah, I listen to other podcasts. Quip, you are definitely out there. But it's brand new. It rewards you and your mouth. That's right, the Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids, which is great. I've got kids. Brushing their teeth is, well, one of them doesn't have teeth yet. But the older one, brushing the teeth is a nightmare. i got to get them onto this Quip. If you've already got a Quip, you can upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. Sensitive, sonic vibrations. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's sleek. You can start that two-minute timer and 30-second pulses for a guided clean. Now, I've used tooth- electric toothbrushes with timers before, and it would always just buzz out at two minutes. But this one, like the way I do it in my mouth, is like one quarter, one quarter, one quarter, one quarter, and uh, just move it when it buzzes, and that's great. Because otherwise, you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to brush the easy bits, aren't I? Also, beyond the brush quip have everything you need to build a complete routine what does that involve mint or watermelon toothpaste (laughs) honestly guys i feel like toothpaste was absolutely fine with mint did we really need to get watermelon but it's got anti-cavity ingredients for strong healthy teeth and look i love watermelons maybe you love watermelons more than me and you're like i'm gonna get that watermelon toothpaste it's perfect uh floss you can get reliable sugar-free gum in a one-click dispenser that sounds amazing. Why haven't you sent me that quip? Come on, I'd like that. Refillable mouthwash that's good for you and the planet. Also, shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping, especially now. I mean, like, I feel, you know, vaccinations are rolled out and stuff, but I'm still like, I don't know. Now I'm used to not going to the shops and I don't really like it, so perfect. Join over 5 million people who use Quip. That's a lot of people. And save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart brush for just $45. Start getting rewards for brush your teeth today. Go to getquip.com casual right now to save $10 of Quip smart electric toothbrush. That's $10 of a smart electric toothbrush at getquip.com casual. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash casual. Quip. The Good Habits Company, and back to today's video. The Car When the missing person report came in, there wasn't yet any reason for Sheriff Israel Beauchamp to think anything was wrong. People ran away from their old lives all the time, and those left behind always said, there's no way they would do that. (laughs) Yeah. Perhaps the Jamesons just found the perfect patch of nowhere and decided to start their new life. But then came another call, which changed everything. On October the 16th, just a little over a week after the disappearance, a group of hunters on dirt bikes found a little dog starving to death inside a white truck parked up by an old oil well site. Hunting on dirt bikes, I feel, is just... I can't think... I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything more American other than, like, maybe eating McDonald's sat by the Statue of Liberty. They had passed by the car earlier that week and thought nothing of it, but after seeing it abandoned for days on the mountainside, they decided to investigate. The little dog was, of course, Maisie. The poor pup was at death's door, having been left to starve for an entire week. Sheriff Beauchamp and his men came to smash the window and save her, later saying, The dog was eating its own feces to stay alive. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god, no. Why would anyone leave their family pet like that? It doesn't make sense. Then again, nothing seems to make sense about this case. Why indeed would they leave their pet like that, unless something had happened to them? It was a massive red flag. As for Maisie, she went off to live with Bobby Jameson's mother, and trust me, you're going to want to savor that happy ending. It's the last one you're getting today. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks, Callum. It's like, oh, it's Friday morning. I'm looking forward to the weekend, and Callum's just like, yeah, 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 let me just ruin your Friday, whistle boy. Ah!
Uh, I feel like also this could be the point in the casual, you know, casual criminalist episode. It's pretty classic where the police are like, nah, they probably just left their dog there and went for a really long hike. Because <laughs> at this point, I'm like, that's what the police do. They give up really easily. If anything ever happens to any of my family, I'm going to be like immediately like, okay, police, you do your thing. And in the meantime, I'll be hiring a team of private investigators to do some real work. Now, and, and don't get me wrong, the police, I, I don't, you know, generally, I'm pretty surprised how little I feel like I've feel like I stick up for the police because I'm like generally they're out there doing like most of the time I feel like and I know it's not like the super best time in especially in America to be like sticking up for the police but generally generally at least my experience of the police is which is basically nothing but they're out there oh I don't I don't even know it's so controversial to like comment on this or say something good about the police so I'm just not going to but uh, let's let's just move on, Whistleboy. What are you doing? You're gonna get yourself in trouble. <laughs> now on to more important question. What the he- where the hell were the human members of the Jameson clan? Judging by the state of the car, it appeared as if they hadn't planned on being gone for long. Inside were their phones, wallet, clothes, jackets, a GPS, and thirty-two thousand dollars in cash. Which is weren't they super broke? They couldn't afford like a house. I feel like thirty-two thousand dollars is gonna get you started on something better than a shipping container. At least I mean, just go to like home base. Uh, what, what's that in American? Laos. Go to Laos and buy yourself like a fancy garage or a fancy <laughs> Put some insulation on the outside. Put a little bit of carpet down. Lovely job. That's a pretty hefty amount for a couple known to be financially struggling. The loot was stashed in a bag underneath the passenger seat. This family also sound exactly like the sort of people who don't trust banks. They're like, why would I put my money in a bank? Never see it again. It's turned into ones and zeros, isn't it? It's like, yes, exactly. It's very convenient and it's insured by the government. Up, oh, why would you trust the government? Are you stupid? It's like, well, at some point you've got to like trust someone. Otherwise you're keeping $32,000 in cash, which is risky. But also, why did no one steal that? I guess we're going to find out. The loot was stashed in a bag underneath the passenger seat. Presumably, it was brought along as a down payment on their 40 acres, assuming they could find the perfect place that weekend. Ah, okay, so this is them actually scouting out that property. I often say, like, uh, Callum, that wasn't clear. And then everyone everyone in the comments is like, Simon, you absolutely read that bit aloud where Callum explained that. So I'm just going to assume that I read that aloud. And uh, I'm, I'm, I just don't remember it. Because sometimes I'll be reading and I'll be thinking about something else like an idiot. However, nobody could quite explain how they came about that much in the first place. Moreover, there wasn't any sign of a struggle in the car. No specks of blood, cracked glass, or anything of the sort. The only sign of a conflict was between the husband and wife themselves. A thick letter addressed from Sherilyn to her husband, Bobby, outlining everything she hated about him. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what are you up to? Don't write down how much you hate your husband. That's weird. Perhaps things weren't quite as rosy in the Jameson household as I first made out. I don't know, I never thought, like, everything was normal with them. I don't want to say that people who want to go off and live- I just described how much I'd love to go and live in the countryside. But look, if you're buying, like, 40 acres, you're suing your dad and you're living in a shipping container, something's up with your family or your life or something like that. And uh, look, if if you're listening to this from your shipping container right now, I'm sorry. But it is a bit weird, isn't it? Unless you're in some sort of Grand Designs shipping container, which is a British show where people, like, make homes out of all sorts of crazy stuff. It's incredibly good. I mean, it's incredibly repetitive, but also, oh my god, can you not stop watching it? Yeah, unless you're in some sort of, like, fancy Grand Designs shipping container, in which case, cool. I'll probably watch your episode of Grand Designs when I've made my way through the never-ending archive of content. That still, somehow, like, I don't understand this, YouTube, But, like, if you just search, like, Grand Designs episodes, there's, like, Grand Designs that I'm sure isn't supposed to be on YouTube, but it is. 
and I definitely don't watch it because that would be some sort of weird quasi-YouTube piracy, which I'm not sure how it exists in 2021 when I can't upload a video with like three seconds of copyrighted music that I actually paid for being flagged as a as a violation of copyright, which is enough ranting, Simon. Get back to the story. Happy house. This hateful letter to her hubby was just the latest in a long line of outbursts by Sherilyn, who was prone to bouts of extreme, vicious, depressive anger. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at a young age, but refused to keep up with her medication. As a result, she was known to lash out at her loved ones whenever her mood tanked. Hence the letter. 11 pages of unfiltered abuse, claiming that Bobby never cared about their daughter, that he was a hermit, and that she wanted a divorce. Judging by that, you might expect a tidy husband-did-it conclusion, but hold your judgment for a few minutes, at least. Yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm always, even before that, it's the husband, it's always the husband, unless there's something saying that it's not the husband. But also, if that woman's writing a letter, she's had bipolar disorder since she was young, the husband knew what he was getting into, so he must be somewhat understanding of this condition for him to have you know, been with her for so long. Sherilyn's condition had been worsening throughout the spring and summer of 2009, with longer periods of depression and increasingly violent outbursts. Her own mother, Connie Cockertan, had told a local news show that when she lived with the, uh, them for a year, Sherilyn was a very strong-willed person, but I saw her change dramatically. She became very illogical. One day she drove me to Oklahoma City and dropped me off on the street. She told me, get out of my car. So I did. <laughs> that is so intense. Just like, oh great, now I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> What am I going to do? Get on a bus? Ah! Greyhound, no! Dumping your own mum two hours away from home is pretty low. And if not anything else, it at least proves that there was a lot of tension in the Jameson household in the lead-up to the disappearance. Bobby himself had also had problems with depression, especially after the car accident back in 2003 hampered his mobility. All in all, it doesn't sound like their home was very a uh, happy place to live at the time. That's perhaps why 12-year-old Colton, Sherilyn's son from prior marriage, chose to go live with his father that summer. The Jamesons lost custody, and at the hearing for the case, Colton explains that his mother acted strangely and was very depressed. To Sheriff Beauchamp, this all sounded quite worrying. What if the couple had done something drastic? To add to these worries, he got a first-hand glimpse of this strange behavior when his men searched the family's house and retrieved the footage from their security camera. Wait. Okay, I'm assuming the security camera is outside rather than having like a security camera inside your house, like watching you. Although thinking about it, I do have like security cameras in my office, but they don't do. Oh, they do do sounds. <laughs> so yeah, this is being also recorded by my security camera, which wipes every 24 hours, which is kind of weird to think about, really, isn't it? But uh, there we have it. <laughs> if I'm ever murdered, they'll be going through that. Brilliant, Simon. <laughs> the video. On the morning of the disappearance, October the 8th, the security cameras facing out onto the Jameson's driveway captured them loading up the car for their mountain excursion. Despite the horrifically low frame rate, we can see that they take around two dozen trips back and forth bringing clothes and equipment from the house. Curiously, one of the bags is Sherilyn's brown leather briefcase, which wasn't with the vehicle. This is also weird, like, I thought they were just going to scout out somewhere to live, but they're like, nah, 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 we're just going to move up there, find those 40 acres, pay for them in cash, and then just not leave. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Nothing particularly out of the ordinary. Oh, okay, well, Callum doesn't think it's out of the ordinary. I think it's pretty weird. Except that throughout the entire thing, neither Bobby nor Sherilyn appear to say a single word to each other. Sometimes they walk back and forth without even bringing anything into the car, and then they stop frequently and just stare into space. It's as if they've both been hypnotized. Or rather, it's as if both of them are high as f***. 
Let me explain. Yeah, that is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, well, if you're loading the car and you're just focused on that, I mean, you're not going to stop and have a conversation like every time because you're loading the car. But yeah, then it's like just staring out into space. <laughs> okay, guys, you're on meth. As is becoming abundantly clear the more I research this show, rural America absolutely loves meth. They love it! <laughs> and eastern Oklahoma is no different. In fact, I have absolutely no idea. If someone was like, where's Oklahoma on a map? I'll be like, it's somewhere in the... Like, it's either in the southwest above Florida, or it's in the northeast below washington like those are two areas where it's like i've i feel like northeast and southwest you could be like yeah it's california and then there's all of those tiny states that you know like massachusetts and all of those ones and then everything else in america like that big middle bit it's like oh not really sure what's going on in there there's lots of really big states and then there's texas in fact the area around you follow is apparently notorious for drug gang activity sure bobby and sherilyn took a look a bit too mellow in the video to be full-on buzzing but the long-term exhaustion that meth addiction brings could certainly induce periods of zombie-like haze that they appear to be in. Friends and family say there's no way the couple were users, but at the time they admit that they both grew, both of them grew increasingly paranoid in the weeks leading up to the disappearance, and they looked emaciated. Regardless, no drugs nor paraphernalia were found in the house. If they really were smoking meth, they were damn good at hiding it. Yeah, I mean, okay, just because every I, I was kind of kidding when I'm like they're definitely on meth. Um, if there's no evidence that they're using meth, just because meth is extremely popular doesn't mean that they're, they're they're on meth. So if they weren't high, what the hell were Bobby and Sherilyn up to that morning? As we, are we witnessing two people on the brink of a breakdown or just a regular marital spat? Were they perhaps just exhausted from worry? Or was there, as some people believe, something more sinister going on? Oh my. <laughs> it's like one of these ones where it's just a bit creepy, isn't it? It's like chill down your spine creepy. The Search before we go any further, let's review the timeline that the sheriff's office has come up with so far. 1. The family leave their house on the morning of the 8th after packing up their car like zombies. 2. They drive about 30 miles e uh, from Eufaula and meet with a representative to discuss a piece of land for sale. 3. They then leave and drive up to a secluded spot in the mountains. An unnamed witness who lived a quarter of a mile from where the car was found saw them driving. Notably, theirs wasn't the only car that he noticed going up that day. And 4. Then, sometime in the afternoon, for some reason, they abandon the car and disappear. Quite a crude timeline, but there are a few more puzzle pieces left. A closer inspection of Bobby's phone yielded some useful GPS information, which showed that after parking up at the oil well, the family went for a hike to a nearby hilltop. Following this route through the trees, the cops found small footprints which they assumed belonged to Madison. According to this data, the family spent about 15 minutes up on the hilltop before descending again. Sometime along the way, a picture of Madison was snapped on Bobby's phone. In it, she's either laughing or crying, no one really knows, and the media would go on to make a big deal out of guessing. After descending, it appears as if they must have hopped back into the car, taken their phones out of their pockets, and then something, something odd. Judging by the way the car was parked, it appears as if they had attempted to drive off at this point, but then stopped the car for some reason. Had they got the sudden urge to go for another little walk? Well, not likely, given Bobby's bad back. Why? Which is why the family suspected that someone on the road 
prevented them from leaving. Sure, there was every chance that they did just go for a walk and get lost, but then the dog and the GPS would have been wisdom. Plus, Bobby was an accomplished outdoorsman, and his back pain meant that their range would be quite limited. And if this was the story of how some guy threw his back out while hiking and was rescued by the police a week after, we probably wouldn't be covering it on this show. This is another one of those episodes. I don't know, sometimes you can read like the greyhound, be- greyhound beheading one, where it's like, this is the most graphically horrific episode that I feel we've done. It involves, you know, a guy getting his head cut off on a bus and then him having his heart eaten. But that doesn't make me like get the chills in my little office here. But these ones where it's like creepy, I'm like looking around, it's so dark and I can't see because the studio lights and I'm like, yeah, what's going on? It's not a good time. A massive search operation got underway on the 17th. Do you reckon we're the casual criminalist? Like a lot of people listen to this show now. I mean, it's a really dark thought, but someone's eventually going to get murdered like listening to this show, right? It could be you. (laughs) God, Simon, what's wrong with you? A massive search operation got underway on the 17th, roping in hundreds of volunteers, two helicopters, horses, mules, quad bikes, 16 canine teams, and a drone. (laughs) Had you been one of the volunteers that day, you'd have heard the entire forest buzz with activity. Dogs running around, the family's names echoing all around, drowned out as the choppers swoop overhead. The name of this patch of mountains, Sand Boys, means without words in French, which is a little ironic considering how much of the thick tree canopies slowed down, the, slowed down the search. The aerial vehicles were basically useless. The undergrowth made it even tougher on the ground as volunteers and cops braved steep ravines and narrow hunting trails to access the most treacherous parts of the landscape. Wait, why are those aerial vehicles useless? I've seen enough of what's... There's that show where they have the police chases uh lights camera action i don't know there's probably a lights camera action that can't be right police camera action it's a show from like the 90s in the uk where there's the people who go on the police chases you know the police are chasing them and at some point they get out of their car and it's like "Uh oh <laughs> you got out the car there's a helicopter and they're like i'll hide in this forest and then the helicopter just turns on its heat vision or whatever and it's like yeah there they are they're really hot and they're in a forest <laughs> so what are you gonna do and they get caught why can't they do this what's wrong with that turn on the the heat vision Come on. And then the rain came. As the torrent started bucketing down a few days into the surge, she'd have spent more time of the day trying to push the rescue vehicles out of the mud than actually searching for the family. These oil and gas roads are barely maintained, making it nigh impossible to effectively search in weather like this. Aside from the risk of flash floods, the sheriff also had to reckon with the fact that the deer hunting season was kicking off that Friday. Any volunteer mistaken for a buck could end up with a bullet to the brain, meaning the operation was likely to cause a bunch more missing person cases rather than solve one. About a week the search was called off. Where are the police? Just be like, don't go hunting in this wood for like four days, guys. There's a missing family. And all the hunters, assuming they're not dickheads, which I think the vast majority are not going to be, are going to be like, cool, yeah, no problem. We'll wait a few days because there's a missing 11-year-old or whatever. Like, what sort of knobhead is going to be like, nah, I want to go hunting. I've been waiting all year to go hunting. It's like, just go hunting nearby. No! <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the comments are going to be like, yeah, hunters are d-. I'd be like, I don't know. They don't seem that bad. So what happened? Without the happy ending we'd all been hoping for, the Jameson's loved ones were forced to face up to the fact that they were probably not coming home. The weeks turned into months, with the trail growing colder and colder despite assistance from the FBI and countless other agencies. Sheriff Beauchamp explained it like this. A lot of investigators would love to have many leads as we do. The problem is, they point in so many different directions. Basically, when you start digging deep into the family's history, so many possibilities arise that it's tough to make sense of them all. And as you can imagine with a case like this, the internet was soon abuzz with speculation. 
surprise <laughs> the more blank spaces that can be filled with nonsense the more on more the online sleuths start foaming at the mouth and so in the spirit of that great internet tradition we're going to kick off with the most bizarre theory of all <laughs> oh no i read the title already some ghosts did it Yes, one of the most strange theories around the Jameson family disappearance reads more like the first draft of The Conjuring than something that belongs in a police report. See, Bobby and Sherilyn were heavily religious folks, good church-going Christians who dabbled in just a light bit of Satanism. Actually, they were fascinated with all kinds of magic and spirituality, taking their faith to some pretty extreme ends, casing points their ongoing battle against a gang of demons that had taken up residence on the roof. No, I'm not joking. <laughs> I can't get out of my heart. I wish someone i can't remember if it's a youtube comment or a review was like i don't like this show and how simon doesn't uh, like consider the the ghost option or the poltergeist option or the whatever option and i don't consider that because i don't believe in any of that nonsense and then the person was like this just seems like a bad business decision because people who like true crime often like this stuff as well and i'm like yeah but this is like the sci-fi and fantasy thing to me i love sci-fi i can't stand fantasy i love true crime i can't stand poltergeist bull because i don't know like one is real and interesting and there's something you can solve and it's tangible and one is just to me to me it's just my opinion it's a bit silly and also if i was to purposefully lean into that i've you know there are shows out there which i know do this and you can hear the hosts being like it just feels like you're pandering to that part of the audience and if i did that it would feel so fake and i hate that fakeness when i listen to other people who are doing this and also on youtube like on youtube that poltergeist stuff and ghost stuff does so well and there are channels you discover and it's like they started off as like fact-based doing interesting educational stuff and then they're like oh my god the ghost stuff works so well and you can just tell that these people hate their lives because <laughs> they're like they don't believe in it and it's just what they have to do and it feels fake and i hate it so uh in a really long response to a review about that or a comment or whatever it was that's why i'm so sorry that you don't get to hear about me loving ghosts on this channel because i think it's all a lie um if you don't like that i I guess leave a bad review or a negative comment or a thumbs up that's okay i don't mind i can't please everybody i'm not here to do that bobby and sherilyn truly believed although their their portmanteau name bobolin Mm mm-hmm very nice. Bobolin truly believed that their lakeside house in Yafala was haunted. It all started when Little Madison, this time with a Y, met an imaginary friend named Emily. Innocent enough, if a little creepy, but for some reason her parents got it in their heads that this imaginary friend wasn't the coping mechanism of a lonely little girl, but an evil entity who was there to steal their souls. Apparently Emily, the friendly ghost, and a few other demons lived on the roof of the house and would regularly harass the family. And these guys, <laughs> this we're going to put in the column of maybe they were on meth. Sherilyn's best friend, Nikki Chennel, told the press, but in all seriousness, the house was haunted. I don't want to sound crazy, but whenever I went there, I felt a horrible presence. I would leave feeling so down and depressed. Bobby, who was such the gentle, such a gentle man, would suddenly come at her and his eyes would be completely dead and black like he was possessed note to simon oh okay am i supposed to read this out loud now would be a perfect time to plug an advert for carbon monoxide detectors oh my god yeah carbon monoxide wait was this on casual criminalist it was right where we had the guy who was just driven crazy by carbon monoxide oh my god and again was this casual criminalist if it was that was so long ago callum um 
carbon monoxide is absolutely crazy one it will kill you in your sleep but if you just get little amounts leaking into your house and stuff it makes you crazy and believe in ghosts and so much of like people believing in ghosts like uh, the science which i know all the ghost people are like science can't explain everything simon i'm not saying it can i absolutely don't believe that science explains everything what i do believe is that it could in the future at some point and if there's something that's going to explain it it's going to be science and not ghosts all right <laughs> um but yeah if you don't have a carbon monoxide detector go get one i have two in my office i have one at home um i have one i have one everywhere that i live <laughs> there's a carbon monoxide or i spend time there's a carbon monoxide detector even when faced with demons possessing the love of her life sherilyn wasn't worried she believed that she had the power to cast out those demons from her home with the power of witchcraft i you just sometimes i just gotta i know it's rough and bad but i gotta do my southern preacher voice when you know you're casting anything out she would leave notes around the place saying get out satan not quite sorry that was that slipped into british too much get out satan uh not quite the ancient latin spell i was expecting but apparently did the job the police found these quirky little notes alongside a copy of something called the witch's bible when they searched the house best mate nikki shenald confirmed that she and sherilyn bought them as a joke several years before but our missing women soon started taking the whole thing a lot more seriously that sounds exactly like the sort of thing carbon monoxide would make you do you'd be like yeah yeah i bought you the witch's bible ah, 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 good joke one week after carbon monoxide poisoning oh my god there's something to that witch's bible the witch's bible is haunting my soul that's not really all that wild nowadays there are loads of these wiccan communities online where people who all watched a bit too much harry potter as a kid convince each other that they could cast spells if any wiccan leaders are offended by my skepticism then go on curse me out i dare you yeah i'll echo that put a curse on me <laughs> someone sent me an email saying that they'd cursed me once and that my life was gonna go terribly wrong and uh my life's pretty great <laughs> bobby's approach to fighting evil was and this was a long time ago and it's life's still great life's still great i'm not gonna touch wood because i don't believe in any of that shite bobby's approach to fighting evil was a little more concerning the family's pastor gary brandon told the cops how the man of the house had approached him earlier in 2009 saying he was locked in spiritual warfare he asked i'm gonna stop he asked if the uh if there was any way that he could get a hold of special bullets to shoot the damn ghosts with the idea of exercising your home with a hail of holy gunfire is potentially the most oklahoman thing that i've ever heard yes callum yes it is but of course the pastor didn't have any sacred bullets or holy hand grenades so the jamesons had to find another way to purge their abode toward that end bobby purchased a copy of the satanic bible by anton levey founder of the church of satan now i'm no expert but if you're looking to fight demons wouldn't you be better off with just a regular old vanilla bible as you might expect our wannabe demon hunters didn't exactly make the best neighbors <laughs> best they best like what are you doing why are you being so loud i'm shooting the demons on the roof oh my god please stop <laughs> less meth maybe just a little less meth i know it's popular but please less meth also i'm buying you a carbon monoxide detector for christmas as you might expect our wannabe demon hunters didn't exactly make the best neighbors i read that already at best their behavior was reclusive and offbeat and at worst it was outright antisocial. for example sherilyn got it in her head that the neighbors were poisoning her cat so she sprayed a bunch of graffiti on the side of the aforementioned shipping container uh, which read three black cats killed to date by people in this area 
Witches don't like their black cat killed. And I'll just say there is so... You can't see this if you're listening to this show, but there's a lot of errors in her spelling and grammar. Are you starting to see a bit of a pattern emerging here? Paranoid, besieged by all sides, both demons and humans, looking to fight their way out with bullets and black magic rituals. Something was clearly very wrong at the Jameson household, and I'm not just talking about their marital issues. And as if satanic hordes weren't enough to deal with, the couple then found themselves fighting a new danger. The Nazis did it. By the way, I'm just thinking right now, is there a charity that gives out carbon monoxide detectors for free? Because there absolutely should be. And I think that would be such a worthy cause because we'd finally, like, there'd be like, the charity is set up and everyone's provided with a carbon monoxide detector in their home for free. Or like, governments start doing this. And then like, 10 years later, be like, wow, the, the number of people saying there are ghosts and sh- really fell by a lot. By a lot. The skeptical society or whoever like, you know, there's these people who raise all this you know, skeptical, whatever, like this sort of stuff. They should be paying for this because that is going to be excellent for proving your point, skeptical society. I'm willing to outright reject the idea that Bez, be, be, how do you say that word? Beelzebub? Be, be, Beelzebub? And his demonic hordes were responsible for the sudden disappearance of the Jameson family. So who can we blame instead? Try Hitler! Or rather, a group of white supremacists inspired by neo-Nazi ideology who had it out for the family. I feel like in that case, inspired is too too positive a word of a word. I think dispired should be word a word. Like not uninspired because that's different, but dispired, where it's like you know, infamous to famous, uh, would be dispired to inspired. I'm just full of brilliant ideas, today, aren't I? If my genius knows no bounds. If you've seen pictures of the couple, this idea would seem quite strange because both Bobby and Sherilyn, or Bobolin. Ah, uh, and by extension, their daughter looked white as hell. But Sherilyn was part Native American, had a close call with a neo-Nazi scumbag not long before she and her family disappeared. In the summer of 2009, Bobby decided that he needed a little bit, ex- bit of extra help around the house on account of his back. So he invited his handyman, Kenneth Bellows, to come and stay with them. As is always the case with new roommates, it took a few weeks for Bellows' true colors to show. Man was a big-time bigot, a full-blown white power Aryan pride ball bag. Oh, no. It never became an issue until one day he discovered that his new landlady had native blood. <laughs> Racism is the most absurd shit, right? Because it's like, yeah, yeah, we've been getting along great. But then I found out your one sixteenth whatever insert race that the racist doesn't like. And it's like, yeah, no, I hate you. It makes, it just doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. Oh, what? What a revelation, Simon. Racism is stupid. <laughs> Uh, he would make indirect comments about her ancestry whenever her husband wasn't around, and it came to a head in August while Bobby was out in town. Bellows sat down next to Sherilyn, got up in her face, and started racially abusing her. Sherilyn felt threatened, but she never backed down. She ran to the bedroom and retrieved her trusty 22 caliber pistol and pointed it at the lodger's head. Legend. Bellows backed up and went outside, but refused to get off the property. What are you doing, Bellows? She's got a gun. So Sherilyn emptied a few rounds into the ground at his feet, sending him running off with his tail between his legs. Don't worry, you're allowed to cheer gun violence if the person being shot at is a massive Nazi. Yeah, f*** you, Bellows. 
Yes! When Sheriff Beauchamp heard this, he thought that the case would soon be wrapped up nice and neatly. He had the barrel stuck in his ear by Sherilyn, and at first you think, great, here's someone with a motive, but the FBI cleared him. Yeah, unfortunately, Bellas had a solid alibi for where he was on October the 8th. There's no way he could have been involved in the disappearance, unless, of course, he wasn't directly to blame. Who's to say whether or not some of his white supremacist associates decided to act for him and kidnap the Jamesons that day? I'd say that's entirely possible. And you know what? It's definitely more possible than ghosts leave those one star reviews grandpa don't do that i love five star reviews it warms my little heart the crambar did it that's certainly something to keep in mind, but perhaps we don't need to look too far at all to find suspects. As it turns out, one of the family's closest relatives was a leading suspect early in the case. Oh yeah, the guy's getting these he's suing his own dad or something, isn't he? Bobby's father, Bob Senior. Remember how I told you that Bobby had an outstanding lawsuit against his father? Well, that wasn't all. The two had an incredibly volatile relationship and endless disagreements over money, which allegedly spilled over into violence at least once. It all started years ago when Bobby Dean Jameson bought a gas station in Oklahoma City. He reportedly had his son work there for free, in the understanding that he would get a cut of the cash when he eventually sold the place. But according to court documents, when that day come, came, Bobby Jr. never got a penny. As his mother, Starlet, explains, things soured between father and son real fast. My first car was a Toyota Starlet. It was, uh, it was a great little car, unfortunately named for an 18-year-old boy to have a car called Starlet. But uh, it was a great little car. I loved that thing. Quote, Bobby fought for his money and it all turned a bit ugly. I don't want to turn Bob Sr. into some kind of monster, but he did threaten the family. We had split up by that stage. There was a few confrontations and we were worried, so I installed security cameras at the house. Yes, Big Bob was actually the reason the security cameras were installed in the first place. This guy prime suspect. Motive. Yes. Bobby and Sherilyn were apparently so afraid of him that they attempted to get a restraining order earlier in 2009. It's this guy. It's so far like this is the dude. These court, although then you've got to kill your own son, which is pretty intense. But also suing your own dad's pretty intense, isn't it? Those court documents allege that old Grandpa Jameson was a very dangerous man who thinks he's above the law and was linked to prostitutes, gangs, and meths. <laughs> and meth, all of those fun things. Bobby told the judge that his pimpin' pensioner father threatened to kill him and his family on multiple occasions, once in November 2008 and again in April 2009. During the first incident, Big Bob allegedly ran over his own son with his car. Holy shit, my dude. This is like, I take back everything I said about, yeah, I don't know, killing your own son's pretty intense. So, honestly, sounds like this guy's up for it, allegedly. Uh, is it too much of a stretch to think that this elderly meth lord might have finally followed through on his threats? No, it's not. Sure, he was 67 years old and unwell at this point, hardly fit to go executing family members, and the police were able to clear his alibi. Uh-oh. That's, well, I mean, not uh-oh. He had an alibi. Fair enough. Bob Sr. was in a rest home on the time of the disappearance. However, his associates wouldn't have any such obstacles. Some claimed that the old boy had links to the Mexican cartels out of Texas. Okay, I'm guessing Oklahoma somewhere near Texas. There we go. Geography with Whistleboy. Or perhaps this was all just a family feud getting blown out of proportion. People with violent temper say all kinds of things, but it takes a special kind of psychopath to order the execution of your own granddaughter. As Bobby Sr.'s brother Jack put it, he was either in hospital or in a rest home. I just don't think he was involved. He was disturbed at the time, but I'm pretty sure he was not capable of being involved in that. Well, that's what they all say, isn't it? But yeah, killing your own son, killing your own granddaughter who you don't even have an issue with, that's some crazy sh**. 
I sincerely hope so. Whatever the case, Bob Dean Jameson passed away two months after the disappearance of his son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughter. The police never pursued him or any of his associates, meaning there's only a very slim chance that any of them were involved. The family skipped town. So maybe it was a bit grim heaping so much suspicion on an old man at the end of his life, even if he was a drug-pushing pimp-slash-thug-slash-gangster, but we can take something from that story to work with. Meth. Glorious meth. As I mentioned before, the region of Oklahoma is well known for drug production. It's a big part of the local culture. Think wine country, but for better means. Tourists could even enjoy a guided meth lab tour with a tasting at the end. Citation needed. It'd be cool. I think the police should do that. They should like keep one of those meth, lab- meth labs open so you can go take a tour and they'll explain like how dangerous it is to cook meth and stuff because I've seen Breaking Bad. It can go wrong. So when someone who lives adjacent to their world suddenly shows up with 32 grand-ish in cash, there's a 90% chance that it's meth-related. This we discovered that Jameson's grew increasingly skinny and agitated around the time of their disappearance, and some friends said that it seems like they thought someone was out to get them. Maybe <laughs> they thought it was ghosts. Maybe they were making a break for it after crossing the wrong person but were tracked down in the mountainside that day. However, if they were involved in the drug trade themselves, you'd expect a little bit of evidence of that somewhere in the house or car. It still leaves the possibility, though, that they were involved not as dealers or users, but as witnesses. Consider the fact that one friend of the family reported that earlier in 2009, Bobby lodged a complaint against someone in the neighborhood for operating a meth lab in their home. If that kind of news got out, you'd definitely be looking over your shoulder whenever you left the house. You might even want to disappear entirely. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. If I accidentally discovered some big gang activity, I'd be like, and they knew I'd discover it. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, saw nothing, <laughs> carrying on, please don't murder me. And I literally, I, I definitely wouldn't tell the police. I'd just be like, you carry, unless it was like human smuggling or something. If it was just drugs and shit, I'd be like, carry on, got no interest in this. I am a private citizen going about his private business. And now I'm like, shouldn't you report it? Isn't that the moral thing to do? And it's like, yeah, it is. But I also like being alive. Based on the way their car was left abandoned, some believe that the Jamesons were attempting to fake their own death to avoid retribution from whatever drug gang they had wronged that could explain their speedy disappearance. Even Sherilyn's 12-year-old son, Colton, had no idea his mother planned on moving. It was even argued that federal marshals could have been involved, meaning after reporting the drug gang, Bobby might have been set up to testify. In a big case, that would have meant the family was put into witness protection. If that were the case, local cops would have been left in the dark in case of corruption. Yeah, but when you enter witness protection, do they like fake your disappearance? Don't you just disappear? It's not like elaborately set up like this, is it? But then why not take the money with them? A pile of 32 grand can really help out when starting a new life. Believe me, uh, no, this is like my 17th identity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, I don't think you would. If you were being in witness protection, oh no, if they were just going to set up a new life, yeah, they'd take the 32 grand. If they were in witness protection, the witness protection dudes would be like, you ain't taking that 32 grand. If you roll up somewhere and you've already got 32 grand in cash, people are going to be like, who are the new people? Whereas if you roll up somewhere and you don't, they're just going to be like, new people. No big deal. Like every damn theory attached to this case, it doesn't quite add up. Sure, it's comforting to imagine Bobby, Sherilyn, Little Madison off enjoying a new life on the beaches of California, but in the end, that would prove to be nothing but a hopeful fantasy. Oh, does Callum imply that we're getting a resolution today? I kind of thought this one would just be unsolved. Let us carry on. Meet the Jamesons. 
Four autumns came and went before the next break in the case. During that time, Sheriff Beauchamp worked himself to the bone, chasing every little tip that came down the line, no matter how ludicrous. Quote, I'm at my wit's end. I've asked for all the help I could get. Twelve FBI agents, three OSBI agents, Troop Z of the or Troop Z of the Oklahoma Highway Patrol, private investigators who have contacted me. I even belittled myself to the point where I was listening to psychics. Okay. I mean, also mad respect for this guy because often on the casual criminals as i brought up earlier in you know the whole police thing it's like often it doesn't seem like they try super hard and in this case hell yeah this is the dude that i want on like any case i'd be like i want this sheriff beauchamp guy he seems like a legend it'd be bad if he turns out to be the killer I don't think so. Now we're in November 2013, and a topographical, topographical map of the area hangs on the lawman's office wall, a constant reminder of the most difficult case of his career. On the map are lines drawn up in marker pen, showing the search routes that spread across the mountains that week back in 2009. Many miles of mountain searched with no results. But what the sheriff didn't know at the time was that there was no need to cast such a wide net over the vast expanse of wilderness. As it turns out, the Jameson family never made it very far at all. On November the 16th, 2013, a man out scouting for deer in the Sandboise Mountains came across a grizzly site. Poking up through a thick layer of autumn leaves were, was the unmistakable off-white color of a human skull. A closer look revealed two more by its side, one of them the same size, the other far smaller. The man called the police, who brought a team up to the spot, just 2.7 miles away from where the Jameson family's car was recovered. They shifted away the layers of soil and detritus on the remains, and found what they described as bits of clothing and other bones and bone fragments. Among them was a child's pink shawl, Madison's favorite color, and a dried flower, or what was assumed to be her body. As you can imagine, the state of decay was extremely advanced. These were just the remains of skeletons, which, if they really did belong to the Jameson family, had been exposed to the elements and wildlife for four years. It would be a further 18 months before forensic scientists could verify, using dental records and DNA, that these were indeed Sherilyn, Bobby, and Madison. Even though they weren't very far from the car at all, it's understandable why the initial search never found their bodies. Wow, okay. I'd kind of be like, wait, you were searching all over the mountain, but you didn't find them? This remote part of the mountain, known as Smokestack Hollow, was rarely traveled, and the bodies lay on a steep incline. Okay, fair enough. The poor weather back in 2009 could have obscured the bodies and prevented volunteers from reaching them. Given the winding route necessary to make it up to that point, the actual distance traveled is closer to seven miles. So, why was the family going up that way? What, they just randomly decided to bail on the car, leave the dog, and take their six-year-old on an incredibly arduous hike to absolutely nowhere? Well, investigators took a look at the position of the bodies and theorized that perhaps they didn't do so willingly. The remains were all face down and arranged in a row, almost in the style of an execution. Yeah, but then, so the person executed, I guess to like get them really off the path and stuff, but it sounds quite hard forcing them into this very off-the-beaten-path location. This also appeared to rule out the possibility that they were caught unawares by a flash flood. Heavy rains were washing over the area at the time. There's no way that would have left them perched on an incline in such an orderly formation. And even if exposure got them, would they really just all lie down like that? The chances of this being a natural death were looking very slim. And so you're assuming gunshot wounds, right? So, can't you find the bullets? Or maybe strangulation? Can't there, won't there be, like, broken bits of bone and stuff? I don't know. It seems like we could, uh... I hope they do some forensics and find out. And again, the remains were far too decayed to get any conclusive evidence from. Oh, okay. There we go. There goes that one. Well, they could still look for bullets around, like little uh, little rounds, you know, the, the metal bits in the ground or in the bodies or whatever. However, analysis of Bobby's skull revealed what may have been a small bullet hole in the back. There we go. About where a round might have entered the victim are on his knees and the killer standing. The hunter who found the bodies thought the same thing. Okay. <laughs> well, how about, how about, I mean... 
I know the hunter uses a gun, but how about we leave the actual identification of holes in skulls to uh, to forensics, maybe? <laughs> now, it's like, the hunter agrees. Excellent. Stands up in court. Now, this could very well be a coincidence. I thankfully haven't seen pictures, but I've read the report saying that there were all kinds of wear and tear on the skulls, mostly attributed to rodents. Yeah, but we can t- Can't you tell this? Like, you can tell a bullet hole, right? Hence, police eventually dropped this line of reasoning from their inquiries, but more for lack of verifiability. Than anything else finding the bodies ended up raising more questions than it answered in the end the cause of death in all three cases was listed as unknown and just like that we're right back into the zone of speculation who killed the jamesons the news of the bodies was devastating for the families but at least it offered up one consolation the possibility of closure the case had slipped out of the news cycle years ago and it was little more than a minor fixture on true crime websites but now a fresh wave of interest came along and several new theories about what exactly happened that day yeah i mean the closure's got to be good even though they're dead it's like you don't like not knowing i feel is is would, would be worse a drug deal gone wrong We'll start with the obvious. After all the speculation about the Jamesons being somehow involved in drugs, it sure does look suspicious to find them dead in a way that bears the hallmark of a gangland execution. Perhaps the Jamesons were on their way to deliver that cash to someone involved in the drug trade, but something went wrong during the deal. However, if that were the case, surely the mystery gang member would have nabbed the $32,000 before making a break for it. Say what you want about murderous meathead biker gangs, but they're not stupid. Well, this is where the missing bag from before comes into play. Remember I told you that the security footage shows the Sharon load Oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. Remember I showed you the security footage shows Sharon and loading up the car with her brown leather briefcase. While this missing bag wasn't with the bodies either. Sheriff Beauchamp was keen to locate keen to locate from the get-go, saying, I think it might have held a lot of cash. Could it be then that Bobby and Sherilyn had arranged to meet someone up on that mountain who swindled them out of the cash, or so they thought? In reality, the killer just got whatever unknown amount was packed into the briefcase, leaving the rest of the loot tucked safely underneath the car seat. Certainly possible. After the bodies were found, Sherilyn's mother, Connie, recalled a strange comment that Bobby made in the summer before they disappeared. Bobby told Sherilyn, I know where I can get the money, but I won't involve you. Yeah, this sounds pretty smart. I've known people who, like... If they're traveling somewhere in some like particularly dodgy place, they, they'll carry a decoy wallet. So if someone robs them, it's like the wallet that's got, you know, an expired credit card and like a small amount of cash in. And then they have their real wallet somewhere else. So for obvious reasons, seems pretty smart to have a decoy money bag. That sounds suspicious, and from what I gather, the fastest way to get some quick cash in Oklahoma is by dabbling in meth. However, if Bobby was adamant that he didn't want to bring his wife, then why the hell did he bring the kid? I don't think bring your daughter to work day applies to drug dealers, but I could be wrong. An offering to a cult. So, what now? I hear you ask. If the mess gangs are off the hook, who can possibly be to blame? Well, friends, the number one rule of internet sleuthing is that when you run out of sensible leads, you should start screaming about cults. And that's just what happens here. Or often, start screaming about the paranormal, because obviously if it's not something, like, real, it's going to be the paranormal. Said way too many people all the time makes no sense to me. Although the idea was never really entertained by the authorities, Sherilyn's mother, Connie Carcatan, made waves by telling the papers she thought that a religious cult may be to blame for the murders. Well, it's a lot more believable than the paranormal, isn't it? Perhaps they... People are like, no, Simon, it's not. It was ghosts. Perhaps they stumbled across some freaky pagan ritual out there and became the unlucky sacrifice. A little 
disclaimer before we go further. For this theory, Cogerton cites stories on the internet. <laughs> Brilliant starting place. Which essentially means that you lot have been putting wild ideas in her head. So please stop. Her explanation goes like this. That part of Oklahoma is known for that. Cults and stuff like that. From what I've been told and from what I've read, I was told that she was on a cult's hit list. So, why would a cult bother targeting the family, you ask? Well, there are a couple of theories. The first is that they were themselves involved with some sort of esoteric organization and that the money they took to the mountain might have been some kind of offering. They wouldn't be the first people to renounce their worldly possessions and go live with some nutjobs in the forest. Definitely not. And we already know that the couple were into some wild stuff. Who knows what kind of people they could have sought out once the pastor refused to cough up some blessed bullets. If you want something a bit more concrete, then consider the fact that there was an abandoned pickup truck dumped not far from where their own car was found. This old wreck was used as target practice by local hunters and was tagged with what the papers called satanic messages. Nikki Shenold claims that Sherilyn's own messages were tagged on top of these ones, saying things like, Peace and God loves you. Maybe someone saw her and got really angry because she was writing over their messages. It wouldn't surprise me up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a crime that was worth murdering over. Someone ruining your shit graffiti. Really, Nikki? It wouldn't surprise you if a satanic cult killed your mate's whole family because she tagged over their Satan number one graffiti. What the hell would it take to surprise you? Yes, it's an excellent question. And what an absurd statement to make, Nikki. You're a weirdo. White Power Part 2 Revenge of the Neo Nazis. So, we're all willing to chalk up the cult hit list angle as total nonsense. Yes, Callum, I agree, it's total nonsense, let's move on from it. Okay, good. I promise the next one has a bit more sense to it. Remember our old friends, the white supremacists? Oh no. <laughs> Simon, out of context, remember my old friends, the white supremacists? From when I used to be a <laughs> No, Callum, why are you making me say? Well, even after massive racist Kenneth Bellows was cleared by the FBI, a tip came through which gave extra credibility to the idea of a racially motivated revenge killing. For years after the disappearance, Nikki Chenault took time out of her own life to dedicate herself to the search. In 2010, she appeared on the Discovery Network show Disappeared. Not long after, she received a phone call from a woman who said that she used to be part of a white supremacist group called the United White Knight. Brilliant name, guys. Very clever what you did there with White Knight and White. Very clever. I guess uh, white supremacists are not exactly known for their big brains. The mystery caller claimed that this organization kept a book. Uh-oh. Someone's going to be writing down their crimes in which they noted down the names of their enemies. An actual hit list. Uh-oh. <laughs> As we uh, have discussed on this podcast previously, the one number one tip about being a criminal, do not write down your crimes. The woman said that she made a point of memorizing the names from the book UWK Meetings, then googling them when she got home. We've also discussed this. Don't google your crimes. Sure enough, she found missing persons case after missing persons case, and among them was the name Sherilyn Jameson. It still takes a lot of assumptions to knit this one together, but at least we have a motive. Kenneth Bellow's untimely eviction and the name of an organization. I had a quick google so you at home don't have to end up on an FBI watch list and discover that there are more than a few of these groups active in the American South. She might have just meant the United Dixie White Knights, loyal White Knights of the Ku Klux Klux Klan, or any number of similarly named affiliates. Why, why, why is this a thing? Can we just stop it with the racism already? It's 2021. What the f***? Brilliant, Simon. You social justice hero. That's going to end racism. 
Well done. Yes, if this were... But it... I mean, it's not like I'm intending to do anything. It's just like, it's kind of surprising to me that race... It looks like... Come on. What are we up to? <laughs> Stupid humans. Yes, if this woman was for real, the KKK might have been involved. I know this might come as quite a shock, but the KKK isn't just about fun bonfires and community spirits. <laughs> Some of them are actually less than admirable people. Just to be absolutely clear, this is all very sarcastic, and everyone knows the KKK are a bunch of pricks. In fact, you might go as far to say that the KKK are actually not that nice at all. So it's relatively plausible when Nikki says of the mystery tipster, this is a quote, she had overheard some conversations with these guys where clearly they were talking about Sherilyn, Bobby, and Madison that they took care of them. However, bear in mind that this came after the first big wave of media hype. The white power connection was already well known, and at times like that, all kinds of frauds come crawling out of the woodwork for the sake of fame, attention, or just plain boredom. Yes, it's like, oh look, did you read about that family, including a young kid getting murdered by the fa- in the woods by racists? Yeah, that was me! That was me, I was that murderous racist. If you ever find yourself making that statement, as Lord hopes that you don't, just, I mean, just maybe make some new friends. Maybe the guys with the big pointy hats. Leave them alone. Go, go, I don't know. L- literally try anything else. Nikki did no doubt dealt with a fair share of that in those days, but this one, she says, was different. The caller allegedly gave a description of the un- of the unique insignia on Bobby Jameson's wedding ring. If true, then that would be the smoking gun we need. However, none of this was ever confirmed by law enforcement, but I admit that it's far more compelling than the vague suggestion of cults in the hills. But then we have to ask, were Bellows' associates not looked into at all? That's tough to believe, seeing as the FBI were following that lead. How did the killers get up the hill without the witnesses who lived nearby knowing? Well, perhaps they were already in the car pointing a gun at the family, which would have made for a very awkward meeting with the landowner's representative earlier in the day, and a very uncomfortable hike up the hill before coming down, dumping their gear and being murdered. Whatever way you spin it, it's highly unlikely that anyone followed the family up there that day, which makes me wonder, was the killer already up there all along? Yeah, it could just be some weirdo dude hanging out in the woods. I feel like that's kind of stereotypical but definitely possible let's crack on an unfortunate meeting we've already tossed drug deal gone bad to the bottom of the pile but there remains an alternative what if the jamesons accidentally got wrapped up in the drug trade what i mean is the Sandboys mountains are apparently a hot spot for secluded cooking shacks as in cooking crystal meth not brunch yeah no one was no one was under any illusions there callum we know some breaking bad uh trailer home was going on trailer home what's that thing they had in uh, rv rv cooking not trailer home i mean i guess it's a trade i don't know what's the trailer home just like in the old days of prohibition when moonshiners would hide their stills out in the forests nowadays meth manufacturers sometimes chose to set up temporary facilities far away from prying eyes what if the jamesons stumbled across such a place or saw some sort of deal go down yeah i mean i don't want to like if i was cooking meth right i mean i don't think you need like electricity and even if you do buy a generator look i'm assuming meth's going to be a fairly high profit business because it's a crime and if you're doing crimes and it's not a high profit business well just go into regular business wouldn't you (laughs) without the risk of becoming a criminal or definitely becoming a criminal you're cooking meth but like i definitely wouldn't be like cooking meth in my kitchen in the city i'd be like yeah yeah i'm just gonna go out into the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere not listen to any music so i can hear if any like cars are coming 
and then I'm just going to cook meth. And America's also really big. Like here in Europe, it's, you know, there's there's lots of people. It's quite densely populated. You're going to have to, you know, go off the track to find some like really far out of the way place. But in America, just go like do Breaking Bad, go into the desert, go into the woods. If you're cooking crystal meth in the city, what's wrong with you? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And also another tip, if you're, if you're <laughs> like that, that thing is like, if your crime business isn't super high profit, what are you up to? And I don't mean like shoplifting and stuff. That's like different. I mean like proper crime business, like crystal meth cooking or gangs like that what if the jamesons stumbled across such a place or saw some sort of deal go down or caught some gangsters burying a body any of those would be reason enough for a ruthless enough criminal to massacre them or hell who's to say some opportunistic murderer didn't just spot a family wandering around the secluded woodland and decide to take their chance the idea is that the family saw something they shouldn't have or met someone they should have avoided on their mountain walk. They then rush back down to the car with the killers in pursuit. Jumping inside, they start to pull out onto the dirt road, and just then someone bursts out from between the trees, pointing a gun at the windshield. The attacker, or attackers, then tells the family to step out of the car with their hands up. Seeing the briefcase inside, they force the couple to hand it over. They then have no choice but to comply. Their search for weapons and the killers confiscate Sherilyn's 22 caliber pistol before she could start blasting their toes off like before. That would explain why it was never found at the house, the car, or the site of death. After that, they locked the car and uh, led on a death march up the mountain side, snaking back and forth over tangled undergrowth and slippery rock faces. The kidnappers likely keep the parents in check by threatening their daughter. After walking for over an hour, maybe more, they're told to kneel down on a slope. Perhaps they were told that they'd be allowed to live if they played along, but in reality, the killers just knew it was easier to walk a man into the woods than to drag his body. That is super grim. A gun is placed at the back of Bobby's head. He's shot dead, falling face first into the ground. It's then the turn of Cheryl and Madison. Perhaps the lack of a bullet hole suggests they died by some other means. Maybe that's the case for Bobby too, seeing as they never found a bullet or an exit hole. I'm getting depressed considering the possibilities. Yeah, me too, Callum. This kind of what we were talking about, yeah, like, ha ha ha, Nazis, ha ha ha, now it's like, oh yeah. But all of this really comes back to the fact that a family and a young kid were murdered. And it's like... I got a family and a young kid. It's just not stuff you like to think about, really, is it? So I'll just leave the rest of the speculation to you at home. You might want to have a few shots of something strong to hand if you plan on mulling it over for too long. Yes. And honestly, <laughs> if, if like a good whiskey company ever wants to sponsor the casual criminalist, I'm your man. Obviously, I'm the host of the show. But you know, sponsorship. <laughs> it's a chilling prospect and perhaps the most coherent theory yet, but prepare yourself because things are about to get even sadder. Oh, brilliant. The most tragic theory of all. There's one last theory that needs to be addressed before I let you pass your verdict on the Jameson family disappearance. It revolves around the dismal atmosphere that hung over the family throughout the entirety of 2009. Oh no, they killed themselves, didn't they? The dad killed. There was one bullet hole in his skull, right? He killed the daughter, he killed his wife, and then he killed himself. That is super grim. But that's probably what this is going to be, right? As we've already seen, something was taking its toll on the psychology of Sherilyn and Bobby. By the time they disappeared, they were shadows of their former selves, skinny, paranoid, and exhausted. Something very dark was brewing under their roof, but it wasn't supernatural. I found one news article which reported on Sherilyn's mental state that year. Apparently, her sister had passed unexpectedly two years before from an allergic reaction to a bee sting. This caused her to lock herself away from the world and lose herself in fantasies of witchcraft and demonic possession. In the house, Sheriff Beauchamp found a letter she had written writing about ending her life. They were certainly a family obsessed with death, he said. Bobby likewise seems to have slipped into a depressive slump. 
It really feels to me as if something was coming to a head here, and it did in September 2009. Less than one month before the disappearance, Sherilyn was hospitalized after attempting suicide. I think within all this talk of meth gangs and white supremacists, it's easy to lose sight of the dark clouds which are gathering over this family's lives. After finding the letter which Sherilyn wrote to Bobby, talking about how much she hated him, the police entertained the idea that she might be responsible for the deaths. Uh, if my theory my theory my speculation about the bullet in the head that was in the father's head right so that wouldn't quite work out unless it was in her head no it was in the dad's head right let's carry on nikki shenard thinks differently saying it was her form of therapy she would write things down when they came into her mind but then she would moved on move on she loved bobby but honestly given how reclusive the couple were in those final weeks and months how clearly troubled their mental states were and how bizarre their behavior was as they loaded up the car i struggled to shake the feeling that they knew they were all going to die that day friends and family outright deny the possibility but when someone's mind is in such a low place and filled with bizarre beliefs they might come to see this sort of thing as a kindness but then i think the dog that little black and white ball of fur brings the whole idea into question because let's imagine for a second that the parents or at least one of them were in the grasp of some dark ideas and planned on ending the life of their daughter i don't believe for a second that they leave the family dog to starve to death in the car little Maisie would come along for that last trip with them too um am i so like not attached to animals that i'd be like if i'm this is no i don't even want to think about it good lord this is such unpleasant this is such a dark place i don't even want to discuss this um, forget i said anything <laughs> let's not talk about killing our families by all accounts the dog went everywhere with madison as heartbreaking as it is to consider surely even the most desperate suicidal parent would want the dog by her side at the end and we still don't have an explanation for the missing gun unless there's some squirrel running around the forest strapped with a 22 caliber the gun it should have been found with the bodies so make of this one what you will just like the rest we're left tracing chasing our tra tails trying to mash those last jigsaw places into place when they just don't quite fit wow so uh yeah i mean it's not the end of the episode today there's there's a little bit more but um, it's one of those ones where we don't know what happened. Well then, we're just uh, left with speculation, aren't we? So now we've basically explored every nook and cranny of this case, covering the possibility of vengeful fathers, murderous KKK affiliates, and chance encounters with meth manufacturing gangsters. If you were hoping for closure, I'm sorry, but I've got none to offer today. None of the theories fit the evidence completely, which is exactly what Sheriff Beauchamp meant when he had all the leads that he could ever hope for, but no hope of solving the case. To quickly recap some of the issues with our uh within our network of speculation if you think it was a drug deal why was the kid there and why wasn't the money gone if you think bobby's father or the kkk did it why was nobody seen following them if you think it was murder suicide where was sherilyn's gun and why was Maisie the dog left out and if you think they were possessed by rooftop dwelling demons you're an idiot <laughs> callum's words not mine but callum and i same page beyond that i'm afraid i can't help you no further this case which began as the kind which happens every single day in america spiraled out into one of the most perplexing mysteries that you're ever likely to find in true crime in the end i like bobby's mother think they're most like they most likely just stumbled across the wrong person out there and paid with their lives the odds look overwhelmingly like we'll never know who that person was but on the off chance that you yes you sitting there at home genuinely have the answer to the whole mystery then you're encouraged to contact the latimer county sheriff's office over in oklahoma if not for the family do it for the thousands of listeners currently grinding their teeth in frustration or or do it for the family <laughs> dismembered appendices number one 
If you want an explanation for the huge wad of cash which doesn't include drugs, consider the fact that Sheriff Beauchamp discovered early on that the Jameson couple may well have been serial scammers. They launched two lawsuits after a car accident in 2005, planned on suing the Eufaula School District, and may have been playing up their financial woes for government help. I'm not mentioning this to shame them, only to explain that they apparently kept $32,000 under a mattress and not in the bank. Number two. We briefly touched on a picture taken of Madison on that first walk up the hillside, and in other accounts, it actually plays a big part of the case. News channels plastered the image on people's TVs, debating whether the little girl looked happy or scared, and speculating on whether the image was taken by her kidnapper. You could join them in that if you like, but all in all, I think it was just overblown sensationalization. That's not the word, is it? It's right there in front of me. I can't even read it. Sensationalism. And we at Cash Crim hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yes, we do. Number three. If you fancy following the kidnapping angle further, then consider the fact that Nikki Shenold thinks that she can actually see the culprit in that surveillance footage, which is available on YouTube. Most people say Bobby changes his shirt partway through, but Nikki is adamant that he gets inside the car wearing white, bends a third individual in brown, then approaches the car. You can go take a look for yourself and decide. And that is where we leave today's episode unsolved unsorted and uh, yeah grinding our teeth just a little bit if you enjoyed it and you're watching on youtube this show is obviously both available on youtube and as a podcast please leave a thumbs up subscribe to the channel if you're listening as a podcast it would be fantastic if you left us a review it really does help it gets the show in front of more people i looked it up the other day we got like two thousand reviews or something which blows my mind thank you everybody so much and a 4.9 stars by the way this isn't some like 3.2 star google review restaurant that you're going to avoid this is a 4.9er that's right and uh i mean i don't think we can get it up to five because if there's just one bad review then you you can't get there again i guess anyway enough about that i appreciate everyone leaving reviews and i love reading them and i love that they're all so nice so thank you very much and i'll see you in the next episode 